0: Here's another inspiring message from Northside Community Church Sydney. Well, we know the carol, don't we? we? Tis the season to be jolly. la 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 If let's call a spade a spade. That's that's how many of us can feel when we get to Christmas, right? I mean, what what is it what is it with Christmas? What is it with Christmas when we get in and and on one hand, uh, we, we want the joy and the excitement and the, the tingles on our skin on Christmas Eve. All of those things that we love about Christmas. And, and isn't that how you know that you've grown up, right? You know you've grown up that you still desire all these wonderful things about Christmas. And yet something's always breaking in. We live in a world where Christmas is all about Getting together and and gathering and, and community and yet we live in a world in which we want that. We desperately want that but in our heart of hearts we know that there are tables that we'll go to this Christmas with people that we love dearly that won't be sitting with us. That there are relationships that are strained, tis the season to be strained. What is it with Christmas? I mean can you believe this? I was going through a pastoral textbook the other day. I found a thing called the Holmes Ray Scale. It's, it's a scale that psychologists use to look at the greatest stresses in life. And second from the bottom of this list of the top 43, can you believe this, was Christmas. It's in the book. Which is interesting because often you know churches, they want to talk about joy and peace and hope and love. They're all the things we desperately want. But there's something about it that causes these things to break in. What, why is that? Have you noticed that? Have you noticed it tends to be the season when your family just goes loopy? <sighs> Where relatives just do stupid things. And I've been thinking about this. Why did Christmas make the homes, Rahay scale? Uh, what is it about the nature of Christmas? And then it hit me this week. Maybe it's not so much about the nature of Christmas. Maybe it's about the nature of the relationships that we yearn for at Christmas. And what I would suggest to you is that at Christmas, it is a season of strained relationship and part of the reason that this stuff always seems to pop up at this type of year is nothing to do with the decorations, the baubles or the weather. Nothing to do with the season. It's because there is a subterranean nature to these strains, right? They're hidden. You can't see. Something could have happened all the way back here in January 1 of 2016. And we've got no idea. we'd have we have no idea. I can't look at you and say, yep, they've, they've got a strained relationship. They've got one. They've got one. They've got one. They've got one. Because it's, it's subterranean. We can't see But yet there's something about this season which then brings that subterranean strain and anger up to the surface. And We think it's Christmas, but it's not really Christmas. It's the anger that's underneath. And what is so fascinating, when you look at the word anger or the the biblical word for anger, wrath, if you go back to its Anglo-Saxon root, you get a real sense of what we're talking about here. Wrath comes from the Anglo-Saxon word uh, to writhe or wraith or wreath which is something we know about at christmas. I've got a wreath on the door. A wreath is where you take sticks and you twist them into shape. So when we talk about this subterranean anger, what it is, it's it's not just suddenly we discover it's not just about an anger from a hurt or a pain. It's it's an anger that will twist your soul. And what it means for you is that that we're about to move into something this morning that that if you if you don't if you don't grasp or you're not, not at least willing to work upon, it's something that can totally twist you out of shape. Which means for some of you this morning, if you say, hey, my relationships are fine, then oh, I, don't, I don't need to deal with this. You will. <laughs> but I also want to say too, if you're in the midst of a strained relationship, you're unreconciled to someone you can think that you've dealt it that you've buried it that it's gone subterranean you've turfed the landscape of your life no one can see that it's happening but can i suggest it has the potential to twist you out of shape if you don't grab this this morning and i say this too my heart is heavy this season i know many of the stories that are here i know many of the strains i know many of the pains what well, I believe that Jesus has given to us in, in this, it's going to give us a, a, a freedom when we leave this place, the potential for a freedom um, that we often as Christians don't discover. Now, before we get into it, can I, why don't I just front load the application of the sermon? Why don't, why don't I give you the why before we go through the what, the application piece? Let, let me give it to you right up front with what Jesus is saying here what he's talking about, this parable of the unmerciful servant. Here it is so it can ruminate with you and this can sit with you. The whole point of the sermon is this. Jesus says to us through his story that if someone has hurt you or pained you or caused you some sort of wrong in your life and you're hurting from that and there is a lack of reconciliation... He says, I expect you, if you are my follower, if you are my child, if you're in me, I expect, no matter how many times they have done it or who's done it, I expect you to be the one to make the first move. And I front front load that because I I wrestle with that when I think about the people in my life that have hurt me. Because can I say to you right now how you react to that is, I know how you're reacting to that. You go, I don't want to. I don't want to. I don't want to move. you like those, uh, those two guys down in Picton. Did you guys ever see the YouTube clip recently in the papers of two guys in Picton went across a one-lane bridge and they both met in the middle of the one-lane bridge and both refused to move <laughs> an hour and a half later. <laughs> the police had to come down to them in order to break them up. They both got fined for it. <laughs> Can I suggest to you there are relationships that have, that have hit a one-lane bridge in your life at the moment and neither of you want to move? The only way that you're going to solve that, and that's why this scripture is so powerful, that's why God's Word, God's people are such a healing presence in the world, is because Jesus comes in he says, I don't care who drove across first, your turn to move. You move. And when I hear that, I don't want to. So let's then look at how we might do that. Let's, let's look at a pathway towards reconciliation the first step that you're going to need to take if you're going to be reconciled to someone if you're going to fix a strained relationship is that you need to identify with the wrongdoer now note here I'm not saying that you need to justify the behavior of the wrongdoer that you need to be like the wrongdoer you need to identify with the wrongdoer and here's why because the first thing that you are instinctively going to do if someone wrongs or pains you the first thing that you're going to want to do is you're going to noun the offence I'll say that again, you're going to want to noun the offence, right? So you're out with the girls and Jenny's spread all of these lies about you and then you sit down with coffee for them a little bit later on down in Balmoral and everyone's talking about Jenny and you instinctively say, yeah, Jenny, the liar. Or you just begin to refer to her as the liar, right? You noun the offence. You know, uh, John cheated me in a business deal. He's the cheat. There's a show called Cheaters, by the way whether you nail the offence. It's called cheaters. You, you ne- In other words, there is going to be an instinct within you to 2 dimensionalize the, the person who has pained you, to just give them a blanket, a blanket statement that says, well, oh, John's the liar. Jenny, Jenny's the liar. John's the cheater. Um, I sort of see it a bit like, uh, like a, a caricature. There used to be a guy down at the rocks that, that used to cut out uh, shapes of people's silhouettes on bits of paper, he'd, he'd look at your silhouette and he'd cut that out, but he'd always accentuate your big nose or, or a part of your head. He, w- he would always accentuate the bad things and minimise the good things. That's what we do, right, if someone hurts us. We character them. We, we 2 dimensionalize them, right? Someone wrongs you and hurts you and lies. You know, they're a liar. But if you lie, oh, hang on, they, they don't know my upbringing. You don't know my context, You don't know what I've been through. You see, they're 2D, you're 3D. So you've got to identify with the person who has hurt you in the sense that this is what the king does at least. He hears the servant begging for him. Look at my wife, look at my kids, look at my livestock. Please don't sell them. And it says here that the servant begged and then the king instead uh, it goes here and he says, verse 26, at this the servant fell to his knees, begged, verse 27, and then the servant's master took pity on him. A guy called Dan Harmon, who's a, a screenwriter in, in Hollywood who unpacks the power of story, he said this really fascinating thing. He said, if you don't strongly establish a character in a movie or a story, your audience will instinctively gravitate towards and focus on the one that they pity. In other words, the the character in a story of none are strongly set. The one that the audience will identify with the most is the one that they pity. There's something powerful about pity. The Greek word means to set your heart out to them. It means you identify, you see their point of view instead of 2 dimensionalizing them. You 3 dimensionalize them and your heart goes out to them. And so to take pity upon someone starts to run through your mind all the things in which they could be just like you. And that is why it's so important when someone wrongs you like that because we'll have this little self-justification engine that will take off in our hearts and it will try and grab everything and suck everything that person has done and it will label that upon them. But what we must remember is this. I love the way that uh, the theologian missus Volf Love-Wolf puts it. He says, Forgiveness flounders when i exclude my enemy from the community from the community of humanity and i exclude myself from the community of sinners see what he's saying so that's two dimensionalizing people And to identify is to say, it's not to justify the actions of the person that's hurt you, but to be reconciled to yourself first and foremost to say, I haven't done that, I may never do that, but there is a capacity, there is a capability within me, if I'm real, that could do that. And therefore we're no different. And it gives us the basis for our hearts to at least be set towards them. Uh, identify with the wrong viewer. It's not justifying what, what, what's going on. But here's, this, here's the second way on the pathway. If you identify with the wrongdoer, the second way that you can move towards reconciliation is that you de-animate the GIF by paying down the debt. <laughs> now, I recognise the morning congregation. There needs to be a bit of explanation about all of this. <laughs> but it's uh, the latest release in iOS 10 for the iPhone. Is uh, Animated GIFs are all the rage, aren't they, guys? We've got Amy down here, part of our youth ministry. They're so they're so cool right now. Animated gifs, gif is it? No, it's a gif. Well, it could be gif, gif. Maybe I'm showing sure my age. 35. I'm not young anymore, Jess. It's a gif. Okay, we've sorted that out. <laughs> anyway, a gif is when a gif is when uh, when the techno guys take two, two to three frame slices of a feature-length film in a really funny spot, and what they do is they just take those slices of the frame and then they they loop it round in the image, and so it suddenly becomes animated. So someone does a funny gesture, and then they come back to the beginning and funny gesture again. Back to funny gesture again. It's it's really cool, guys. Um, if anyone <laughs> you wants to see my phone afterwards, I'll share a gift with you. <laughs> You've got to de in a minute to get because this is what happens, right? When you get hurt, is that you can have a lifelong relationship with someone and bang they do something wrong with you in that moment and here's what happens in your mind you take just a snapshot of those three seconds of a 30-year relationship and then you loop it and it goes over and over and over and over and over and you keep replaying that hurt and that pain in your mind right a word spoken a certain action All of that keeps playing over in your mind. Now, why do we do that? We do that because whenever you're wronged, there is always a debt. It's not a financial debt, but the currency is uh, a loss of your reputation, or the currency is a loss of your integrity, or the the currency is a loss of your joy or your happiness. We know this, right? Whenever someone hurts you, there's a loss. There's an emotional debt that has to be paid. And the only pathway to forgiveness is when... Fundamentally, you come to this point. You say to yourself, either they're going to pay or I'm going to pay. Either I pay or they pay. They pay. Now, if we don't want to pay, we, we make them pay in all sorts of ways. We have subtle ways. You could do it, you do it directly. You just go out and you gossip about them. If they ruined your reputation, you ruin theirs. <laughs> if there's some form of, of loss, well, then you, you go out and you try and make them lose something by dragging their name through the mud. That's the direct way, the indirect way, is that you, you, don't, you don't do anything about it, and you come over here and you create an animated gif. And in your mind, you think that you're making them pay. In fact, you know, I'm sure you've never done this, but, but from time to time I find I even find I have imaginary arguments with the person. <laughs> and in my animated gif, I, I give it exactly to them, what I would have said in that moment. You know, I sort of get a little bit bigger. You know, and you said, well, what about this?" And then you go and you sleep on it for a little bit longer and then you think of another really good point for your imaginary argument and you go back to it again. Well, you know, is it... I'm the only one, aren't I? Yeah. 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 <laughs> you think you're making them pay, but what's happening? You're creating, you're creating a wreath out of your soul. You're twisting that thing with a nice circle that when you're done with it, you could hang it up on your front door at Christmas. You think you're you're paying them back, but they're paying you back. Guess what? They're not even in the room. (laughs) Sounds crazy, doesn't it? You've got to de-animate the GIF. You've got to break out of that cycle of constantly playing the video over in your head Time and time again, and this is how you do it. You make the commitment to say, I'm not going to make them pay, I'll pay. And here's what forgiveness is. Forgiveness is the decision to say, I will pay. I will absorb the debt. I will pay this down. Even though I think morally I was in the right, I choose to pay this down. If some, someone comes to you at a Christmas party this year and you, you're wearing a, a $500 fashionable dress from Dottie or something like that, can you... <laughs> Sorry, you can't get 500 dresses from Dotty Do you? think you, you girls, you get my point. But if someone spills that over your, over your dress, you know. What do you say? You know, I'm I'm so sorry if they say, "Look, I'll, I'll pay you back," and you say, "No, it's, it's it, this is priceless." <laughs> can't pay this back, <laughs> right? You've got it. You've got to absorb the debt. The thing's useless. You can't go to a party like that with a stain down there. You pay, right? And so you pay, it means in every moment that that animated gift comes back in your mind, in that moment when you choose, you're about to choose to have the imaginary argument, you refrain. And as much as there's a small pain in this moment, you're saving yourself from a much greater pain in the long term. Deanimate the gift and choose to pay down the debt. Here's the last one. You've got to not only identify with the person, this is all progressive by the way, don't try and do step three if you haven't done these two, and I want to show you why. First of all, you've got to identify and say, "I'm, I'm not that different." Then you've got to deanimate the gift and pay down the debt yourself. And the last thing that you need to do is you need to master the art of the graceful approach. When when we get hurt, what happens? I'll show you what happens, and excuse the analogy, but I want to make the the contrast. Unsophisticated people, when they get hurt, they get themselves worked up. They swear. They punch. They fight. (laughs) They slander, right? What do sophisticated people do when they get hurt? They withdraw. Sophisticated people master the art when they get hurt. They master the art of the the graceful withdrawal. You ever notice that? Where, oh, we're friends. It's fine. Don't worry about it. And then and they, they inch back slowly, 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 slowly. I know this. I see this all the time. People, people in our part of the world are the masters of this. We see it all the time in the real world. We see it all the time in the church community. Someone hurts me, I'll just head to this side of the auditorium. <laughs> Someone hurts me, I'll just go to this group. Because I don't want to make a fuss about it. And see, it's, it's, it's veiled under the guise of reconciliation and peace, but it's far from it, isn't it? And it's, it's why it's so fascinating when you go back and you read this passage up in chapter 18 and, and, and what... Um, Jesus is talking about, before we have the parable of the the unmerciful servant, uh, the pericope, the title is talking about dealing with sin in the church and it says, if your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. It says, go out and point that out. You know, the word to point it out is actually the fundamental word to evangelise. It actually says to go and evangelise your brother and sister about the fault that they have. Now, what is this? This is not withdrawal, this is an approach. And why would you need to evangelise a person if they've hurt you in that way? What Jesus is saying is when someone hurts you and pains you in relationship, there's an element of spiritual blindness. They haven't seen something properly. And so Jesus is saying, for heaven's sake, if someone has hurt you, whatever you do, if you have identified with them, and if you've worked it out, and this is crucial because I want to come to this in a second, then you mustn't withdraw. You must master the art of the graceful approach, so not as to seek justice, but in order to wake them up from the thing that they've been doing all the time. Now, here's the critical one. If you have not paid down the debt, if you have not let go of this, what's going to happen when you go in this moment? You're going to say, I'm going to to go to go and wake them up. Are you you really? No. You're going to go in there. You're going to say, I'm going to seek forgiveness. You're not seeking forgiveness. You're going to be wanting to seek justice. I want to go back into that moment. I want to tell them exactly what what I think, but I'm going to do it in really Christian terms and I'm going to do it very lovingly. But if we're not reconciled in this second point of paying down the debt, then you're going to continue to make them pay. Don Carson says it so well. Listen to this. He says, For the line between moral outrage for the sake of God and his people and immoral outrage, because I'm on the opposite side of a debate, is painfully thin on the issue I might even be right. In my heart, I may be terribly wrong, precisely because I'm less motivated by a passion for the glory of God and the good of his people than I am for vindication. Ouch. So Jesus' desire, you see this all throughout the scriptures, there's a wonderful proverb that says, if, if, if your enemy is hungry, feed them. Remember that one? And in doing so, you might heap burning coals upon their head. What is that? (laughs) That sounds like vindication. But what the proverb meant is that heaping burning coals, what is that? It's waking them up. Jesus says, go evangelize to them. The proverb says, put coals on their head. The principle is this. You want to gracefully move into relationship, having been resolved in yourself that you've paid down the debt, in order to wake the person up to the sorts of actions that have been causing pain in the first place. So there it is. Go and do likewise. (laughs) You know, if you're like me, when I find myself preaching this message to myself at nine o'clock on a Saturday night, i got this this part of the message and after all of this great stuff, yeah, that's right, I preached to myself. I thought it was gold last night. I thought it was fantastic. (laughs) Oh, that's good, Sam. That's good. (laughs) Preach it. I still came back to this point right now, this moment, This millisecond? And I just loop back to the beginning where Jesus says you need to make the first move. And you know what my reaction was after hearing all of this good stuff? I don't want to. (laughs) It's nice, but you don't know how this person's hurt me. I don't want to. I don't want to. And I want to say this morning, I get that. I get that. And it would be naive to think that there'd be any sense that, oh, we're going to hear this message and you're going to walk out of here and We're all liberated from the pains that someone has caused you in life at the moment. I'm not expecting that. God's not expecting that in your life. But I've got to say to you that regardless of the three points, now is that junction point where where many, and we see this in the cycle of church, whether it's in the small or the big, when we come up into this point, the decision that you choose to make from this point onwards it's the, the very thing that's going to determine whether or not you have a freedom and a liberation ongoing from this person that's hurt you. In other words, if you, you're going to come to a choice right now that you're going to come back up to that, you're going to feel this, you think the points are good, and then I don't want to, and the whole thing is going to fall back down and it's going to cycle again. And can I say in the sadness of my heart, because this is the church, we see hundreds of people who fall back into that cycle. And that is not God's desire for your life. But you know as well as I that He has given us free will in this world. And so he can't, he can't make forgiveness happen for you. This now becomes partly your responsibility in all of this. And all I want to leave you with is the fact that that unlike many other people, why the heck can Jesus say to us, we're the ones that have to move first, no matter and isn't that exactly what Peter was asking Jesus? Verse 21, he comes to Jesus and says, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? How many times have I got to do this, Jesus? Up to seven times? Anyone ever felt like that? Felt like that with someone in your life through abusive behaviour or a lack of consideration or, or just a lack of awareness? And they've stung you yet again and yet again and yet again and you're conflicted by the love that you have for this person and you cry out to Jesus, how many times have I got to do this? Have I got to go through this? And the size of the debt is everything in this story. The servant had a debt of 10,000 bags of gold. In today's terms, it would have been a figure in the billions. Billions. What Jesus says to us is there, there was a debt here that couldn't possibly have been repaid and the king lets it go, cancels the debt, lets the, lets the guy go. And then we're so incensed in the story, by the way, that this servant goes out and after a debt of $10 billion is forgiven, he goes and starts choking those debtors in his life for 10 bucks. We all, we all hear the story and we go, that's, that's, that's unbelievable. How could anyone do that? Friends, can I suggest to you, whether you're a Christian or a non-Christian, we can sense there's a debt. We can sense that that we don't don't live that perfect life, that we don't have a foundation to stand upon on our own merits, That is as good as we've lived lives, We, we know that there's stuff and there's junk within us that's just... Not right and it's not, it's not perfect. We, we sense that. I challenge you that if you don't think that, that it's there if you look hard enough. There is a debt. And we're so incensed by the story because what do we have? We have a servant who's acting like a king, strangling everyone, throwing him into jail. And friends, that's why there can be no witness for us as Christians if we go out and we are unforgiving to others because we, we can tie the analogy in now, can we not? that there is an eternal debt that's been forgiven. And whenever we go out and whenever we harbour this unforgiveness in someone's heart, God is saying, you are are no different from the servant. In fact, you're a servant who's seeking to be king. Get out of my seat, he says, (laughs) because you're not the judge. And this is how we get justice, by the way. Christians have the ability to say, I can go and I can forgive this person. I can't excuse their behaviour and that's okay. But I'm not the one who will seek justice for this behaviour. I believe there is a good God and there is a right God and he will make things right. But I will leave that to be the job of the judge and I, in the meantime, will continue to be the faithful servant. We have every resource, church, to do this. And can I suggest to you, as it is for my own life, that whenever I come up against that challenge of, oh, I don't want to, I don't think I can, how can I? It's got nothing to do with the size of the wrong in my own heart. Of course, yes, there's going to be degrees to which we do this. And of course, yes, some of you got pains that will seem insurmountable. But what the fundamental principle is that whenever I come up against that, I go, there's a lack of awareness of what it is that Christ has done for me of who he is and who I am, and I need to go back to the drawing board. We've got the resource. How and when and how big you work through that, well, that's going to be between you and God. And it's not easy. It's not easy. My heart hurts for many of you this Christmas because you're doing everything. You're doing the decorations. You're doing that. You're trying to get the fam together. You're trying to do all this sort of stuff. And people are throwing it in your face there's relationships that are straining you that are weighing heavy on your heart and I, I want you to know I'm praying for you the team is praying for you and we're here to work that through with you as well as we f- finish this morning I want to tell you the story of Tippi Hedren has anyone heard of Tippi Hedren? I can see the B52s over, know, over here know who Tippi Hedren is the younger generation we'd know her as um, Melanie Griffith's mum okay <laughs> didn't realise that, fun fact uh, Tippi Hedren, she was the star of the birds, right? Alfred Alfred Hitchcock's movie, The Birds. Anyway, um, hearing a bit of her story, Hitch, so they called him, became obsessed with her over the years. And he'd he'd started to fall in love with her, and and she had refused to sleep with him. And so in so doing, when she did that, um, Hitch said, well, you know what, I'm going to ruin your career. And by the way, he did. She was contracted to him, and he deliberately withheld her from acting in any other movies after that point under contract. And years later, as the story goes in uh, her biography, that uh, years later she turned up to Hitch's funeral. And someone said, like, uh, Why, Why'd you turn up to his funeral, just to spit on the grave? And she said, This, no, um, Hitchcock might have ruined my career, but he never ruined my life. And when I hear stuff like that, I can't imagine a Sydney sider saying that. Because for many people here, your career is your life. What I want to say to you is that outside of Christ and what he does for us, friends, there is a deep vulnerability in all of us. And I want to say to you, that relationship, that person, that family member, that friend, that hurt, that pain, that is not your life. And when we come in and we base our foundation upon him as paradoxical it could be, we can be the sort of people that can learn how to forgive as big as it has been, that can move through and say, they might have ruined my reputation, they might have um, ruined my integrity, they might have ruined my career, but they didn't ruin my life. That gift to you is available this morning. How you get there is going to be one messy, painful, paradoxical journey to do it, and thank goodness you're in community but there is a resource for you this morning to move through these seasons of pain like Christmas. When you look at your strained relationships and say, I know that there is a pathway, I know that there's a resource, and I know now that I've crossed this one-lane bridge and I'm stuck, that I'm the one, to be, to, I'm the one who has to make the first move. May you consider that this week. May you process that with him as we head to this time of prayer now. Come seek his comfort in community together. Come seek his power in community together. We're going to have the ministry of anointing. Maybe that's the sort of thing that you need to get breakthrough in your life on some of these issues of unforgiveness. We want to extend that to you now. And As we take communion and as we take of the bread and we take of the cup, let us reflect on the debt that has been paid for us. Let us reflect on the 10,000 bags of gold that has been forgiven for all of us. And may that be the very thing that fuels the engine in our life towards pathways of reconciliation. Let's pray. Well, thanks for tuning in. If you'd like to find out more about Northside, visit northsidechurch.org.au.